morning, I thought I'd just do something a little different. I'm going to speak on being a child of God. Being a child of God. I took an old outline and put new material with it, so I hope it's a blessing. Uh, becoming a child of God was the greatest event in my life. Uh, I was 24 years of age, and uh, the conviction and, and uh, the hand of God was heavy on my soul. And uh, I remember that morning, uh, I really believe I was saved right there in the pew. Uh, I believe that uh, uh, the Lord uh, touched my heart and faith came and I, I believed in who he was, what he did and all that. And, uh, but back in Baptist days, you know, we need to walk the aisle. And so I, but I was the only one who went forward that morning. But I had such a heavy heart, I didn't care who was there that morning. Uh, this was between me and God. And uh, I'll never forget that. Uh, I had uh, made a mess of my life in an uh, unbelievable way. And uh, there was that empty hole that we all have without Christ. And I remember uh, that that morning, uh, God touched my heart and I was saved. And uh, Carol wasn't at church that morning. She would just gotten back from the hospital, if you remember that, Carol. And uh, she probably doesn't remember it. <laughs> Matter of fact, I have a hard time remembering some. <laughs> I'm kidding. But no, uh, but I, I remember when I came home, she said, I knew you were going to go forward today. She, she just knew that. And I said, well, uh, and from that time on, my life began and my journey began. And the process then of a new believer is they go from this grace to this grace to this grace to this grace and they begin to grow, they begin to mature, and that's part of our journey. And then, now after these years, you look back and you see some things that uh, were wonderful. First of all, the mystery of becoming a child of God, and it is a mystery at times. You ever ask yourself, why me? <laughs> why did I get saved? And those around me, uh, they just did not trust Christ as Savior uh, I was thinking of Abraham. Uh, Abraham, uh, Genesis 15. It says there in Genesis 15, 6. And the interesting thing is he had been called out by God in Genesis 12 and had done some things, but it wasn't until Genesis 15 that Abraham actually believed. And in Genesis 15, and he believed in the Lord, and he, God, counted it to him for righteousness. It was at that moment, I believe, that true faith came to Abraham's heart. I think of Moses. Uh, if you'll remember Moses, he, uh, he had done a lot of things. He's on the backside of a, of a desert. He's tending the sheep, and he sees a burning bush, and he goes up to investigate. And that's where he actually met God. And he says, who, whom shall I say sent me? He didn't even know who he was. Until that moment, he said, you tell them that I am sent you. Which, of course, is Jesus Christ, the great I am. And then you think of the Apostle Paul. You think of Paul. Here he is en route to do away with believers of the Jewish people and to lock them up who followed this Jesus Christ, this Messiah. And he was going there to get more people, throw them in prison, have many of them executed. I mean, he was a mean, mean guy. 
and uh, cruel, vicious, but a zealot. He was zealous for his God, but he was doing it in a wrong way. But on the road to Damascus, God knocked him down. He wasn't looking for God for salvation, but God knocked him down and made him realize who Jesus Christ truly was. And that's why I believe it's called the dispensation of grace. If anybody was saved by the grace of God, it was Paul. (laughs) And he's our example today, isn't he? And so I'm grateful, and you ask yourself these questions. And if you're here today and you were saved, when were you saved? Where were you saved? How were you saved? Were you by yourself? Were, uh, were you in a group of people and God touched your heart to see the gospel and you went forward or you believed right there in your seat, whatever it might be? How come you and not somebody else around you? I've always thought that. that that's I mean, You can have four people there lost and one of them responds. Why didn't the other three respond? You ever think that through? There's a reason for that, I really believe. If you could choose someone to be saved, you'd probably choose people from your family, I think, <laughs> and, uh, or your friends, uh, your neighbors, uh, those you work with or go to school with, whatever it might be, those that are nice looking for whatever reason. But God didn't choose us that for that reason. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it, the cross, is the power of God. And then he says in verse 26, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are, now notice, called. And then he says in verse 27, But God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. In other words, he called the sinful, the prideful, the impure, the selfish, the ungodly, the foolish. That's who God said. A few intellects, but mainly the common person. And he says this in Ephesians 1, 4. According as he has chosen us, we who have believed in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Then he states this in 2 Thessalonians 2. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation, how? Through the sanctification, the setting apart, the move by the Spirit of God, of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Romans 5, 8, you know it well, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I will never understand why he would do that for us. That's why it's a mystery. The mystery of being a child of God. Why would God do this? The old song says, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. 
He bore the burden of Calvary and suffered and died alone. Oh, how wonderful, how marvelous. It is a mystery. And then there's the miracle of being a child of God. John says it like this in 1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Behold what manner of love. 1 Corinthians 15 says this here. For I am the least of the apostles that I am not meet to be called an apostle. This is Paul. Because I persecuted the church of God. But then he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Thank God it's a miracle that the grace of God touches us. And if you're here this morning and you've been saved, you can say to other people, I'm a miracle. And I am a miracle because the grace of God touched my heart. John Newton, he was the famous slave trader. He would load them up on the ships and take them to different lands and so on and sell them as slaves. And one time during a storm on the open seas, God got a hold of him, and John Newton was wonderfully saved. The rest of his life, he tried to help do away with the slave trade. He also became a preacher of the gospel at that time. And on his tombstone, it says this, his epitaph says this here. It's a long one. I couldn't believe you could get it on a gravestone. But it says this, John Newton, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slavery in Africa, was by the rich mercy of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. That was on his tombstone. The amazing grace of God. And John Newton, of course, penned a song that was his testimony. And it's amazing grace. He wrote that, this former slave trader who became a child of God. And the Bible says, when you come to Christ, such were some of you, but now you're washed. Thank God for the miracle of being a child of God. Now, you think about it. To be saved, there had to be something. First of all, there had to be illumination. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, And whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. In other words, if you're saved today, it's because a miracle took place. God allowed the gospel light to shine into your heart some way, and he showed you the truth. There has to be illumination. God has to move. And then there has to be conviction. When the light is shined on you, you see your sin. And as a result of seeing your own sin and you have no answers for your sin, then there is a burden of guilt, is there not? And you begin to become guilty. Romans 3.10 says this here. As it is written, there is how many? None righteous, no, not one. And then verse 19, he says, 
Now we know that whatsoever things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, now get this, that the mouth of everyone, they may be stopped, and all the world become guilty before God. The law was not only for Israel, it's for all lost mankind to show to them they're sinners and they're guilty of their sin when they stand before Almighty God. And then there has to be an invitation. The invitation is when the Spirit of God is working, He begins to draw you and He reveals, He shows to you the answer for your guilt of your sin. He shows the answer is the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. And as he shows that, it's saying to you, come, come to this empty tomb and old rugged cross, amen. Come to the gospel. And then there has to be trusting. You have to believe from your heart. It's not just a mental assent that, you're saying, well, you know, I read by, I, I believe, you know, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Well, no, you have to realize it's your sin. You have to realize you're guilty of that sin. You have to realize in your being that Christ on the cross died and shed his blood for your sins and that he was buried and he rose again. And what he has accomplished is for me. I don't know about anybody else, but it's for me. And I believe that's enough to save me. And when I do that, that's when I become a child of God. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, death, burial, resurrection. For it, the gospel, is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Then he says in Romans 10.9, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Then he says in verse 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. You see, it comes from your heart, from your inner being, the real you. It's for me, and I'm trusting in that. Ephesians 2.8 says this, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourself. It, and I believe that's referring not only to your salvation, but how you get your salvation, your faith, is the gift of of God. It's a miracle that you're even saved today if you are saved. You're a miracle, a walking miracle because there had to be illumination, conviction, invitation, and trusting or believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then there's the maturing of the child of God. When you get saved, God wants you to live a certain way. Romans chapter 6 verse 11 says this here. Likewise, reckon also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. You see, our journey, when you get saved, has begun. And in Christianity, 
there's always different degrees of maturity among its people. That's why my professor always said, always speak on fifth grade level. And he said, the reason you do that is so everybody can understand. And so uh, my problem is I, I haven't been able to get up over fourth grade yet, but I'm on my way. <laughs> but I'm getting there. Amen. But uh, there's different degrees of maturity. And even when saved, especially at first, we're still immature. We're drawn to self-religion and church rules because we want to be pleasing. Uh, we want to be accepted. We want to be approved. We think that's how we become spiritual. And Paul says, don't be like the Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 says this here. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified, and so on, this only would I learn of you, received you the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect or mature by the flesh? And he's trying to give us a warning to have to learn uh, about our new life in Christ. And I know that takes time at times. It's not a life of religious rules, but it's a relationship of our love of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says that. It says, talks about, for the love of Christ constraineth us. There's something about our love for Christ that causes us to desire and to do what God wants us to do. Church's religious rules are a system of human efforts. It's people trying to follow the rules, and they're usually focusing on what they're against or who they're against. <laughs> These people who follow church religious rules and personal preferences, they have an attitude of superiority, pride, applauding themselves for keeping some rules or personal preferences. Then when they do that, they look down on other people because other people don't live up to their standards. You ever been around by somebody like that? You can just feel it ooze out of them. You're not as spiritual as I am. You're not as holy as I am. You're not as accepted as I am. And it makes you feel uncomfortable, doesn't it? You actually just want to slap them real fast and say, stop that. Amen? This is between me and God. Leave me alone. Amen. But being immature, often these new believers, they allow others to impose rules and regulations and laws on them. Others say, hey, you have to do this. So an immature believer just says, okay, I guess I can try to discipline myself. I'll try to follow their rules so you know, I'll try harder so I can try to be godly like them. And when you come to that point in your life, you're leaning on your flesh then. It's just the strength of your flesh, and it has nothing to do with your relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, trying to live by these rules, by your own strength, your own flesh, 
It's like being on a diet. We impose incredible rules on ourselves to lose some weight. We come to a decision, okay, I'm ready to cut back now. I'm ready to miss a meal. I'll stop eating if I have to. I'm going to grip my teeth together and think then I'm disciplined. I'm obedient to the decision that I've made. But after a while, you know you can't keep that up. And so what you do, you say, forget it. And then you even eat more than you used to eat. Amen? Then you see a magazine. And the magazine says how to lose 30 pounds quickly and still eat what you want. You see, the problem is you ate what you wanted. That's why you have a problem. That's why I have a problem. Amen? And so you get in trouble when you eat what you want. So you start all over again, and it's up and down and up and down. And I remember I tried Nutrisystem here a few months ago. Tastes like cardboard. I said, I threw it all away. It was horrible. No wonder they lose weight. <laughs> you ever tried that nasty stuff? Now, you might be on it right now, and you're having a ball. God bless you, I'll tell you. But a new immature believer even, they go by rules and regulations in order to try to be accepted by God and to become spiritual. And that's what we call straight-jacket Christianity. <laughs> A religionist oriented to rules. They conform to unwarranted, unscriptural extremes. They live a life that's rigid, law-like. It focuses on what you can't do or what you can't be. It's what one has to do to be accepted by God. And when you live like that, it binds you up. It places you under bondage, under chains. And let me just say, that's no way to live. I've been there before and I've done that. And all it does, it creates burnout, frustration, boredom, dropouts, your zeal gone, you're hurt, you're bitter. You become tired of even trying. And all the immature believer wanted to do was to mature in God. And somebody meets them and starts giving them these lists. And boy, they feel guilty if they don't follow that list. Uh, what is our maturity? Second Timothy chapter 3, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, matured, grown up, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. In other words, it's the word of God in my relationship within that helps me to become matured. Not all these laws and regulations. It's having a living, daily relationship with him. One of these legalists then, they cry out, well, listen, if you don't tell what the rules are that you can't do, how are they ever going to be obedient? And my answer would be, whose rules? My answer would be, 
and what dispensation. Because a lot of people take people that are under the law and try to bring those practices over here, we who are under grace. Amen? I'm not getting any amens. I need one every now and then. Now, no, when one is saved, they receive God the Holy Spirit to dwell in them. They've received new life, Christ. And as a result of that, they have total, complete acceptance of God always. I don't have to work at it to be accepted. I am accepted because I'm in the beloved. Amen? That's important. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. Let that sink in your heart. It's so important. One who doesn't have religion, but they have a true, genuine, special, personal relationship with Christ and his word. That person's going to grow and mature in the Lord. You see, because the one who is opposite of sin now lives inside of us. And when he's in control of us, we don't want to sin. Amen? When he's in, we don't want to sin. Galatians 2.20 says this here. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now think about it. When you got saved, you became a partaker of the divine nature. Paul says we have this treasure in earthen vessels living inside of us. The Bible says, Christ be formed in you. He said, for me to live is Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. God which worketh in you that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. So it's a relationship with him. And instead of looking at the rules and regulations that churches place upon you, your focus should be upon the person of Christ. And the more you're focused upon him, the more you're becoming like him. And the more you become like him, the less sin is taking place in your life. It's then you can actually follow the scriptures. Amen? Amen. You don't have to be an ecclesiastical church religionist. Just be a believer who loves Christ and has a daily walk with him. God says this in Ephesians chapter 2, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, put him off, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, get in the word of God, that you put, off, put on the new man, which after Christ is created in righteousness and true holiness. So I put off my old way of life. I put on Christ's way of life. And I learned the word of God. I put it to my mind. And the more I put it to my mind, the more I can be like Christ. It's very, very simple. So you that are here, 
and you're immature in the Lord, just remember some things. Understand, we're in a battle. It's not going to be a piece of cake to live for Christ, is it? We have our battles. Our flesh enjoys self-righteousness. Satan deceives people with religiosity, we call it. The world will try to allure you away from God and his ways. There are the enticements, the media, the culture, the academia, the entertainment, even sports. There are many voices from the dark side, and they are real and relentless. It states in 2 Timothy 4.10, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed. You have to understand, here was a guy having the greatest privilege in the world, and that's to be one of Paul's assistants and servants. And here he's walking with probably the greatest Christian who's ever lived. And still the world was strong enough to pull him away from truth. And the world will pull us away from truth when it can. But it doesn't have to be that way. Philippians 4.13 is very, very simple. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can have the victory. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Amen? Now I close with this real fast, coming down the stretch. Some things, practical things, outside of the word of God, but our life should revolve around the word of God. Remember, you're not alone. You have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, your church friends. Then stay connected to the Word's truths. Don't live by your feelings. Feelings are okay if they're in cooperation with the Word of God. That's no problem. It's when you start living by your feelings. The problem is your feelings are associated, connected to your flesh. And if you live controlled by your flesh, you're going to have an up and down, up and down, up and down Christian walk. Your continued growth within strengthens your inner spiritual strength that will help you from the outside temptations that come your way. Also, always be prepared for attacks. Hey, this is no game. This is real. We're attacked. Relentless, relentlessly. States in Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And those spiritual wicked beings, they hate us. So when we're attacked, we should not be surprised. 1 Peter 5.1 one. Or 5.8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. It states in James 4.7, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Ephesians 6.11 says, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And the armor of God, you can read it in Ephesians 6 there. It helps you to be able to resist the attacks that come your way. And then remember this, the reason we follow Christ 
is not out of duty, out of guilt, or I have to. It's out of love for Jesus Christ. Love because of who he is and love because of what he's done. In 1 John 4.19, we love him because he first loved us. I like Psalm 116 verse 1, the first part of that verse. I love the Lord. <laughs> do you love him this morning? I mean, do you really love him? And this is critical. Surround yourselves with the right godly people. If you want to have victory in your life and, in, and have the continuance of maturity and growth in your life, get around those people who love God. The Bible states in Proverbs 13, 20, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Stop rounding around with those fools and start running around with God. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Be not deceived, evil communications or interactions, evil interactions, when we interact with evil people, corrupt good manners. And 2 Timothy 2, 22, you know it well, Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Get around people that love God, want to live for God, and you can have victory in your life. Now, I've showed the mystery of being a child of God, the miracle of being a child of God, the maturity of a child of God, and the last thing, this is my seventh last thing. <laughs> it truly is. The must of being a child of God. If you are not saved this morning, your past remains chargeable. You will answer for your sins one day. Better now, answer through Christ. But they will, no sin will go to heaven. So I just say to you, if you're not saved, your past remains chargeable. You can clean that up by being saved. Your present remains lifeless. The natural man receiveth not the things of God because they are foolish to him. You do not have the life of Christ in you. You don't have the spirit of God that illuminates your mind and helps you to understand scriptures. You just have human wisdom and that's foolishness with God. So I just say to you, your present remains lifeless. Get saved, get life. He'll resurrect you and quicken you if you'll believe in the gospel. And lastly, your future remains doomed. If you're without Christ, your future is you will die physically, your soul will go to the heart of the earth in a place of torment. At the white throne judgment, after the thousand-year kingdom, your soul will be raised up to stand at the white throne judgment, and then you will be cast into the lake of fire. Your future is doomed if you remain a sinner. I was a sinner, but I got saved, and he forgave me all my sins. Past, present, future. I never have to answer before God and be condemned because of my sin. Because his son has already been condemned 
for taking my sin. I'm in his son now, and I don't have to worry about it. So I say to you this morning that it's a wonderful thing to be a child of God. Amen? The congressman had a daughter. She went to a little church out in the country. She became a believer in Christ. She went home and she told her father, and her dad said, listen, your mother and I, we have to maintain a certain social class. We go to our city's first church, and it's more classier. So what I want you to do, I don't want you to join that little church. And if you do join that church, you will mar the name of your mother and me. And I will take you out of our inheritance. You will have to leave with the clothes on your back. She kept going to that little church till finally she felt the Lord calling her to the mission field. She wanted to go to do missions, so she joined that church. Her father made her leave, and she left, and she was on a mission field for a number of years. Later, she came home on a furlough. Her mom and dad's anniversary, wedding anniversary, was coming up, and she would be home. The mom says to the dad, her husband, would you mind if our daughter came to our anniversary? And the father agreed. And so the daughter went over to the house and a beautiful place. And her dad said, would you do me a favor? Up in your, your bedroom, you still have some dresses up there. Would you mind putting on one of those dresses for this occasion? And she said, of course I will. So she puts on this really nice dress. She comes downstairs. And before all the guests got there, her mom and dad were there, and in the, the major room there, there was a piano. And she went over to the piano. And she sat down, she began to play and began to sing, Where He Leads Me, I Will Follow. That so touched her dad's heart that tears began to come down his face. <laughs> he went over to his daughter. He said, honey, I just want you to know the Jesus you know, he's not the Jesus I know. The Jesus you serve is not the Jesus I serve. Would you introduce me to your Jesus? And the daughter had the privilege of being able to lead his dad, her dad and mom to the Lord. And it was all because this girl was strong, matured, stood and stand for the truth that gave her the privilege, the opportunity to lead her parents to Christ. I say to you, it will be worth it all one day. Just keep staying in the word. Keep loving Jesus. And I promise you, God will give you opportunities in your life that you never dreamt of. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this thing called salvation. What a mystery. What a miracle. And then the work begins by us trying to mature. And it never ends. Paul did that his entire life until he took his last breath. 
And God, I just pray that we stay by the stuff. We stay faithful. And just, if we've faltered, help us to get up, wipe the dust off, and keep on going for you. Thank you that you're a gracious God. For that person here who, if they were to die right now, do not know where they would go, I pray they would trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior today by believing that he died for their sins, he was buried, and he rose again. And with your heads bowed, I would ask you right now, if you have never been saved, let me tell you right now, tell God that you believe that his son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for your sins, was buried, and rose again. Even at this moment, just tell God, God, I'm a sinner, but I believe what your son has done for me is enough. Just tell him right now there in your heart. Just tell God you believe in him today. And if you believed in that in your heart today, that means God now has come in your life and given you new life. And we say as believers, amen. Everybody said? We hope that you received a blessing from today's broadcast. We would love to have you to visit us in person. You can watch us live and view past services on our website at gpnd.net. For more information, please visit our website or contact us by phone. Until next week, may God richly bless you as our prayer.